So we're starting a new series today that uh, I'm calling The Bedrock of Christianity. It's a little different, a little different than uh, we're going to kind of be talking about some apologetics and uh, why we believe what we believe and, and then as we move towards, you know, the most important event in Christianity is the resurrection of Christ. So we're going to be talking about that, what that means to us, and uh, how that works in our life. I was so the title of this today, I don't know if they have this, but I hope they, they got the message to repair it. Uh, yeah, they did. Thank you. Because I had in my notes, the bedrock of Christianity, the greatest skeptic become Christ, becomes Christianity's, and they fixed that too. Thank you. Greatest believer. I had two typos in my title. Uh, because I had skeptic spelled S-C-E-P-T-I-C, which is septic. It's not much... But spell check didn't catch it because it's a word, right? And, you know, so it's like, yeah. So the greatest stinker <laughs> becomes Christianity's uh, greatest believer. And that's, of course, we're talking about Paul the Apostle. Uh, so when we talk about the bedrock of Christianity, there are, there are some things that uh, historians agree on, uh, I would say, 99% of historians, there's, there's, you know, there are outliers, there are those who think we're all going to be abducted by aliens, but there are always outliers in that uh, 99% of both Christian and non-Christian historians, I mean, it wouldn't be unusual for Christian historians to believe it, but non-Christian historians believe first that Jesus, the historical Jesus, actually lived as a person in, in the first century in Jerusalem, in the Roman Empire, and he died, the dates, they're, 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 he died either in 30 or 32, they're not, you know, the dates are a little uh, off, or not sure, but... Uh, uh, but they, they agree with that. 99% would agree with that. They believe that he also that he died on a cross at the hands of the Jewish authorities and the Romans, both Jews and Gentiles. It was, you know, a lot, a lot you know, oh man, this is, but white supremacy groups that, that, uh, that hate Jews, they act like the Jews killed Jesus. That's wrong. Everybody killed Jesus. <laughs> the Jews and the Gentiles. Gentiles, and the word, when you think about Gentiles, it just means nations. It, it, it's everybody. Every, it represents every nation. So it was a combination. It was all the world. All the world wanted to put Jesus to death. And they believed that Jesus died on a cross at the hands of the Romans. And they also believe, would, one, with with great certainty that all of his followers believed that he was raised from the dead. Now, there are those skeptics who don't believe that he was raised from the dead, but they don't deny that his followers believed they had seen the risen Christ and they carried that belief to their deaths. They, they died for that. I mean, you know, some people would die for a story, but to die for a, a lie would be foolish. And they, they, 
were thoroughly convinced. And these things were not established over a period of hundreds of years, but, but what the church believed became, became solid very, quick, very quickly after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Within just a few years, they had developed creeds that were being passed down that explained these truths. So, so we're going to talk about how Paul, who was uh, a skeptic, uh, became a believer. There's probably no one outside of Jesus Christ that has had a greater impact on history than the Apostle Paul. Now, before Paul was a Christian, before his conversion, Paul was a Pharisee. He describes himself as a Pharisee, Philippians 3, 4. I'm going to use a lot of Bible verses today, so just you know, run with me here uh, like I usually do. Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day, which was the requirement of the law, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. He said, I'm, I'm keeping the law. New Testament scholar James Dunn says, the picture Paul paints is of a dedication to excellence and to the most careful exposition of and living in accordance with law as interpreted within the sect of the Pharisees, which excelled above most of his fellow Pharisees. Acts 22, verse 3, Paul said, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are here today. So Paul gives us, he, he gives us a testimony of his life before his conversion, that he's this zealous, committed Pharisees, and the Pharisees were important. There were probably about 6,000 Pharisees uh, in the first century, uh, that, you know, living in the first century in Jerusalem. Uh, they, stored, they studied the Torah religiously. Uh, they recited the Shema every day, Deuteronomy 6, 4, which is uh, the Lord our God, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, uh, and were extremely zealous not only for the, the, the law that, and the law of God, but they were also very zealous for the, in, their interpretations of the law of God. So their interpretations of the law of God became traditions. And you know how easy, I don't, that's really easy to happen. Did you know that? Because how we practice, how we practice Christianity is, becomes often to us a tradition that we think that's what defines Christianity. Just like, you know, there, when churches started having services on other days, beside, you know, having, they, you could have a Wednesday night, but you couldn't have a Sunday morning worship service that you would normally have it on Saturday night because that's not the way we do it, right? 
And so it's easy for us to develop. We develop patterns. This is the way we do it. You know, what time is, what time is church? It's 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. That's when everybody goes to church. So we easily develop traditions, but they, they, they had all these, these permutations of the law that their scholars had interpreted about every aspect of life. So they had the law, but they had added thousands and thousands of of new laws that they considered as just a high value as the law of God, which was the problem. Uh, they had been in power for about 150 years. Uh, they were the keepers of the law in the in the in the mind of the people of Jerusalem. They were the gatekeepers of the law, and they held sway over the people so much so that they were able to participate in persuading the Romans to crucify Jesus because they held sway over the congregation. Now, Paul makes this claim about himself, that he was a Pharisee and he was zealous. Why was he zealous? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1, you probably have avoided Deuteronomy most of your life, Uh, (laughs) but this, would be a, this is a verse that would have guided Paul into why he was zealous. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so you shall purge the evil from among you. So Paul believed that Jesus was a dreamer and that he was leading the people away from the one true God. I mean, he said, I mean, Jesus said, I'm God too. What? What? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know, that's why they said, when he said, they asked him, are, are you the Christ? And he said, yeah. They were like, he's a blasphemer. Put him to death. This is the basis of why they were, were willing to kill Jesus, because they believed that he was leading the people astray, away from the one true God. And so in Paul's mind, and in the mind of the Pharisees, They were protecting, they were protecting the truth of God's word and they were protecting the followers of God from deception. Deuteronomy 21 verse 22, if a man has committed a sin worthy of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, His corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day, for he who is hanged is accursed of God, so that you do not defile your land which the Lord God gives you as an inheritance. So Paul is 
you think about this. Paul is absolutely convinced that this so-called prophet, in his eyes, Jesus of Nazareth, this dreamer, he's hung on a tree, and that being hung on a tree is evidence. The fact that he was crucified on a tree, that he was hung, is evidence that he was cursed by God. So, so he's saying, how could, this, how could this crucified criminal, blasphemer, deceiver, be God's Messiah? So in his mind, it's like, there's, there's no way. And so, since he was zealous, and he wanted to do everything that he should do, he did something about it. Acts chapter 26, verse 9. So then I thought to myself, this is Paul, that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them, often in all the synagogues, I tried to get them, force them to say, to blaspheme, which he wanted them to say, Jesus is a curse. Jesus is cursed. I tried to get them to blaspheme and being furiously enraged at them. See, see the, being furiously enraged at them. I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Galatians 1.13. Again, he says, you have, for you've heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. His goal was total destruction of everything that was that represented Jesus Christ and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen he was a young man probably under 30 during this time and he is he is advancing he's becoming well known he's he's gaining political clout and political power when you think of the Pharisees or the political structure of Israel in the day. Not, not Rome has a structure, but within the Jews, the temple, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, these are all the structure of the temple of the day. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more zealous, more extremely zealous. Just the words that he used, it's just like, I was just, I was all in. I was doing everything in my power and my ability. I was, I was angry. I was, I was so angry. I was furiously enraged. I was so angry at what Jesus had done and what these people believed. And I was doing everything with my power to chase them down, to kill everyone I could kill, and call everyone to recant that would recant, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Paul is fighting against the church of Jesus Christ and the revelation of who Jesus is with every fiber of his being. And in the context of that, he's going from Jerusalem, what he's done in Jerusalem and and imprisoned and put to death and caused people to recant. And so he's had an effective campaign in Jerusalem. And now he's going to go to Damascus and do the same thing. He's got letters from the high priest. He's going to go into Damascus, and he's going to decimate the church to the best of his ability. While so engaged, Acts chapter 26, 
I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me, and those who were journeying with me. And and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only of the things which you have seen, but also the things which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. Now you think about this in about... 30 seconds, in about 30 seconds, Paul's life is totally transformed. The whole purpose of his life is turned on its head. He's pursuing being a Pharisee because he wants to be a good Pharisee and he wants to to have power as a Pharisee. And in in just a moment, Jesus says, well, you're not doing that. You're not doing that anymore. You're laying all that down. Now you're going to be a follower of me. And he's like, to rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Get my pages apart here. Forgiveness of sins. And an inheritance of among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly voice, heavenly vision, but I kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout the entire region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Wow. What a conversion. Isn't that incredible? What's amazing? You know, a lot of people, you look, read the story of Augustine or, or even Martin Luther, and uh, they had a lot of guilt and shame that they were trying to deal with in their life. Augustine was an immoral man, and, and, and Luther never felt like he could keep the law good enough. They had a lot of guilt and shame, they, and they came to faith in Jesus because they, they recognized they had a need. And a lot of us do come to faith in Jesus because we recognize we have a need. We recognize that something's missing in our life. But Paul wasn't looking for Jesus. Oh, he was looking for Jesus' followers so he could persecute them and put them to death. But he wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for him. Paul didn't think he needed Jesus to forgive his sins. He, Paul didn't believe he needed a Savior. Even later when he's talking about how well he kept the law, what does he say? Blameless. I'm doing it. He was saving himself by keeping the law. But, but Jesus got a hold of Paul. I mean, in a moment. And and turned his life upside down. He met the risen Christ. He would, for the rest of his life, say, I had an encounter with the risen Christ. He appeared to me. 
that he was alive. And it changed his life. Philippians 3.12 says, Not that I've already obtained it, or I've already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. He said, Jesus got a hold of me. You remember that there was an old song, Jesus got a hold of my life and he won't let me go? That's true. Uh, some of us were, came to Christ because we felt needy. We felt like we needed salvation. A lot of us were running full blast and he tripped us. and said, no, nope, you're mine. He was like, I don't want to be yours, but you're mine anyway. Jesus got a hold of Paul. 1 Corinthians 15, 8, Paul says, And last of all, as the one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I'm the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. He finally understood it. And he finally understood how Jesus could be a criminal that was cursed on a tree could be also the Messiah. In Galatians 3.13, he says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. See, he understood why he was cursed. He wasn't cursed because he deserved to be cursed. He was cursed because he took our curse. Having been, become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentile. The blessing of Abraham. So that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through him. You see, he understood. Christ was hung on a tree. Christ died on the cross. Not because of his sin. But because of our sin, he understood it. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I've, I've talked about this. This is what made the death of Jesus different. We understand that Jesus died a different death than anyone's ever died. A lot of people got hung on crosses. The Romans, Romans killed a lot of people with crucifixion. They were experts at it. They killed thousands and thousands. Jesus wasn't the only person that ever suffered on the cross, but no one ever carried your sin on the cross. No one ever carried all of the weight of all of your sin, every sin that you ever sinned from, from the moment you stepped, gave, you know, cried a little and, and took your first breath till you take your last breath. Every sin that you're ever going to sin, Jesus died for every one of those sins of, for every one of us. And not only, not only us, but the sins of the whole world. His sacrifice is sufficient for every sin that has ever been sinned and ever will be sinned, his sacrifice was complete because he, in his death on the cross, he carried our sins. Not because he was a criminal, but because we're all criminals and lawbreakers and living under the curse and living under the bondage of sin. And Christ took that curse on himself for us. This is the bedrock truth that the church of Jesus Christ is built on. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered you of the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and 
that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remained until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I'm the least of the apostles, not fit to be in a, called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now within that text, there's two little verses or one little line. It's verse 3. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. What's, what's unique about this is that Paul didn't write that. He said, I received it, and I delivered it to you. So Paul is the earliest writer of the New Testament. Paul is writing between 40 and, and 50 on, on up to almost 60, uh, but he begins with the earliest, his earliest letters. Paul is the first that is available. Then later, the Gospels. The Gospels don't appear until the 60 AD. Up to John is the last to write his Gospel and first, second, third John and Revelation. John is the, is the last to write Revelation could have been written also earlier, but that's, we won't talk, that's, that's a topic for another day, right? So Paul, is, Paul has, has, has met with Peter and the other apostles. At one point, he spent two weeks in Peter's house. And they became pretty good friends. Good enough friends that later on when Peter was acting in a way that Paul thought he shouldn't act, that Paul felt free enough to tell him, you're wrong kind of requires a little bit of friendship to do that don't you think you know that you love somebody enough to tell them they're wrong and so at this point what's exciting about this is that this is this creed that Christ died according to the scriptures and he rose again according to the scriptures this little short creed was something that was written and disseminated throughout the church within within just a few years of Christ's death and resurrection. Why is this important? Because a lot of people will say, well, you know, the, the beliefs about Jesus have evolved. That, you know, yeah, he was a good man, and everybody believed he was a good man, but they didn't believe he was the Savior. They didn't believe that he was God. They didn't believe that he rose from the dead. That, that, that was added on in the second and third and fourth centuries. They, they, they created Christianity. Why this is the bedrock of truth is that this was believed. This was believed. This was the apostles' doctrine on the third day. <laughs> they didn't believe it immediately, but when they saw, they said, wait a minute, we've seen the risen Christ. He is alive. Everything he said is true. He did. And so we have this bedrock faith. Why is this important? It's important because Paul said it this way. 
1 Corinthians 15, 4. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is in vain. I mean, it's, our faith is built on the fact that Jesus isn't in the grave. He's not hidden somewhere. He's alive, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Amen. And he ever lives to make intercession for us, and he's going to come back and take us to be with him. Amen. That's our hope. That's our hope. So I'm going to close with this, so worship team, you better hurry. Are they coming up here? Maybe I've lost them. They all left after the first, after the first service. They couldn't take any more. The, uh, what was I going to say? What, what do you get from this? Well, to me, it's so important that we understand that our, our faith is not superfluous. It's in something. It's in reality. It's in the bedrock, the solid rock of Jesus Christ, of who he is and what he accomplished. That Jesus died for us, and he rose again. He came to accomplish something. He came to do something. He came, some, he came to deal with the sin, the sin problem that we have once and for all. He didn't just do what the Old Testament, just roll the sins. He takes them away. And I rejoice in that. I rejoice in that, in what Christ will, has done and he will do. He came to deal with your sins. That he wants you. And some of you say, yeah, he's been chasing me down. It's time to maybe stop running and say, tag, I'm in. Another thing that I like about this is that who would be the most unlikely person that would ever be saved, you would think? I mean, if, if you were in the first century and you were in Jerusalem and said, okay, everybody, let's make a list of the person, the people that will never be saved. Who would have been the top at everybody's list? Paul. Saul. They would say, this is the guy, this is the guy who's causing us so much trouble. This is the guy, this is the, this is the Richard Dawkins, this is the, this is the Christopher Hitchens, this is the atheist, anti-God person that we have today, this is like the, the most unbelievable person will never come to faith. And God did it in just like that. I mean, in a matter of moments, he went from on his way to Damascus, angry, he's going to persecute the church to preach in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no one, no one, outside of God's saving power. Never, ever, ever write anybody off. Ne never say, oh, no, yeah, they're never going to come to Christ. You know who knows that? Only God. We need to treat everyone as someone that God, Jesus, died to save. Amen. 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 Let's stand and pray. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you because you're faithful. We thank you for the promise. We believe that you died for our sins according to the scriptures and that you rose again. It is the bedrock of our faith. Our faith is not in vain. 
Our belief is not in vain. Our belief is that you are our Savior and Lord and King and Deliverer. Not only have you saved us, but you are saving us and you will save us eternally. Our faith and our hope is in you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.